I wanted to see something reflected, clarified um, around the relationship of dependence within the Sangha. Um, it's obviously not emotional dependence, because, and as you've sort of said to us many times, how unreliable the emotions are. And it's something that I've observed, you know, a relationship built on emotional dependence is incredibly unstable. It's not, and so it's obviously something different from that. And I wondered if you'd be able to um, say something about that. Like your dependence uh, is quite a deliberate uh, emotional dependence is, is uh, where you make want to attach to somebody and have special special privileges or relationship with them but the dependence in this way is only for practice and dhamma so it's a kind of dependence where we support each other rather than and uh, pull each other down. Emotional dependence, you're always pulling at each other. You're, you're wearing each other down. You're, you're drawing each other into mean-heartedness or lower things or, or endless <coughs> demands. Or, so that, that's, just, that's why it's so, you know, the more you kind of mature, the less you, you're inclined towards that kind of experience. But then dependency in this respect is, is from wisdom, where you're, you're supporting each other. You're helping each other to rise up. Like, you help me, I help you to rise up to Dhamma, to be mindful, to keep the Siva, to, to encourage each other. So there's that, it's, a, it's coming from wisdom and, and uh, compassion rather than grasping and ignorance. So when you take dependence on, say, Nisiya and so forth, it's, it's, uh, it's always a mutual thing. This sense of, you are my burden and I am your burden. <laughs> There's a better way of phrasing that. <laughs> But how, what, how I would regard that is that in this life where we uh, affect each other, you know, just living with each other, just physically, physical proximity, and so forth, we inevitably are going to affect each other's minds. And uh, because of these are sensitive formations. <coughs> The way the way this this realm is, so then we determine to be to this dependency, which is a dependency based on dhamma, because we can't if not a a, a life where you, you know, even though we talk about self reliance and self enlightenment, there's also the sangha of supatipano dupatipano where. The upacharya, the the sattin viharika, the the relationship is is also to be uh, is a part of our life's experience. So that dependency is 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 to uplift each other, help each other. Like for upacharya, if if I if if I <coughs> see you kind of going off the track or getting disillusioned and I'm to try to try to help you, try to encourage you, uh, try to uh, pull you up from, from you know, help, help you to rise up. Or if I'm going off the track or I'm down, then, then you, you, you can do it's mutual, it's not not uh, just a one-way dependency. Then uh, the idea of being independent and self-sufficient, self-reliant as an emotional ideal mm-hmm. doesn't work, does it? 
It means you just repress all your feelings and and isolate yourself and protect yourself and and uh, you feel lonely and alienated from everything, everyone. And those ideals of I'm an independent, self-sufficient person. I don't need anyone. <coughs> is that is another kind of emotional uh, 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 dependency, really, where you you're probably too frightened to get involved with anyone because they might get hurt or you don't don't want to be bothered you don't want to have to deal with other people or pay attention to them or or give your time to them if you're a really selfish person then you, you only want people on your terms if they help, if they please you and Make you happy and flashing mm. you than you want them if they're if they're depressed or down or they're annoying or whatever then you just want to get rid of them as quickly as possible. But this kind of uh, dependency in, in uh, sangha is, is we have to rise up all the time to to let go of any kind of selfish reactions to encourage to support, to admonish, to uh, just uh, like like in in the community here, one feels tremendous support of the members. Uh, In my position as an an abbot, one feels that you're supporting me, that it's not just me kind of holding it together or that that you're all emotionally dependent upon me (coughs) and uh, like little kids and just you know look you know father child or mother child whatever that one senses more and more you there's a maturity a sense of equality of willingness to to do, to support and help me and the, the rest of the community. Then you have a really lovely community to live. It's a real community, a unity of, of being. Sometimes dependence in English has a kind of, has a pejorative meaning, doesn't it? despise, to be dependent on anyone, means that you're weak or you're something wrong with you. <laughs> At least I, I was grown up with that idea in my family in the state. Independence. Be independent. Don't depend on anyone. Be self-sufficient. If you don't look after yourself, no one else will. That was, uh, was a very kind of Anglo-Saxon, white Anglo-Saxon middle-class Protestant ideals. But still, I mean, with, with that, with all that, that kind of attitude, one, one, uh, when you had to kind of lie to yourself because you find yourself wanting to be dependent or feeling dependent on others or having emotional attachments and, and all kinds of things that you kind of just had to suppress and pretend, you know, or despise yourself for feeling that way or hate other people for feeling that way. But it was always a kind of negative rejection. Where in, in uh, monastic life, I remember, I really contemplated what, like depending on the lay people for the requisites. What have I got myself into? Yeah, I was an independent person. I could get my own money. I could support my job. I didn't need other people becoming after me things. I was quite capable of looking after myself. And here I am now, 32 years old then. (laughs) 
I'm dependent upon people just giving me food and dependent upon uh, this incredible dependency. Why did the Buddha do it? Why didn't he why didn't he allow us to be aromatic? Not hermetic. Venerable Sir Jesus corrected that for me. Why didn't he allow us to be aromites or troplodites? You know, troplodites are people that live in caves. <laughs> Then there's then there, then one began to investigate this whole idea of dependency. You know, I just was just conditioned with that, with an ideal of being independent. But I didn't understand what dependency is. It's practical experience. Whether it's totally bad at all times, evil and wrong at all times, or is it just uh, the way of life? Yeah. Can we be so egotistical that, that I think somehow I'm capable as an individual person, a personality, to maintain myself without the help of anyone else for my lifetime? And when you really contemplate that, you realize how there's always a dependency. Even, even when you think you're independent, you're dependent upon the government and on all kinds of, of uh, on a society, depending on all kinds of things that you might never admit or notice if you're just blinded with the with conceited idea. <coughs> so then, it, like when you reflect on dependency, then you, you see that there's still independence and dependency. One doesn't cancel out the other. It's just being able to to do, to respond appropriately and to know the value and what independence really is, rather than just a, a fixed ideal that you're kind of just some some coarse definition you have in your head about being independent, without understanding what that really implies or what that really is. When you're a child, you're, you know, like emotional dependence is even, it's just, it has to be that way. A child has to be emotionally dependent upon mother and father. That's just natural. That's not bad. You can't go and think to a little, little child, don't be emotionally dependent on me. <laughs> and uh, try not to have an emotional relationship with your son or daughter really make a mess and ruin their lives because on that on one level that's just normal uh, necessity isn't it like mothers when they have, when women have babies there's an emotional attachment there that's natural that needs to be taken as a kind of personal weakness but it's, a, it's a necessity of it if a woman didn't have it she would she would want to be bothered <laughs> feeding a baby, or staying up all night looking after it, or all the inconveniences and, and uh, disruptions and sacrifices that are necessary for motherhood, if there wasn't some kind of emotional dependency there, it wouldn't be worth it. You know, women would just, you know, if they had a baby, they just kind of want to put it in an institution, have it fed on, on the by machineries and robots because you couldn't be bothered wasting your time with, <coughs> with something like that if you didn't feel this emotional rapport so that's a very instinctual natural thing it's not a it's not a uh, not a personal failure or anything wrong with it but then to identify with that all the time 
And then to where women go off is when they want that all the time. They become attacked the idea of, of, of being needed and wanted and, and having a nourishing and having uh, somebody always to to love and hug and kiss and feed and so forth. And then and it becomes neurotic. But the actual experience is, is, a, is, a, is nature's necessity. And that's where, you know, all these things are not bad in themselves. Even emotional dependency is not kind of bad or wrong. At one level, it, it's, it's, a, it's a necessity, but if it becomes, you know, if you're, if you're the Vicha, really, and there's no kind of maturing going on in your life, if you're just stuck on <coughs> going in the, in the habits, and, and it's stuck in a rut, kind of emotional <coughs> block, then of course it's just miserable, because you know, mothers really suffer when their children go out, when children suddenly don't want to be nurtured and want to get away. You know, I mean, when, like for boys, you can't stand to be around your mother. After you've been very dependent, always sitting on her lap, hugging her, kissing her, telling her you can't live without her. And then, then you go to a certain age where you can't stand her. <laughs> All you want to do is get away from them. Well, that must be really hard for a mother. You know, I mean, you're a callous little boy, so you, you, don't, you don't even think about her. How she might feel about it. You don't think what it's doing to her. You think, you know, she's trying to boss me, trying to hold me back, get away from me, you old <laughs> 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 but that's necessary too. You have to. You don't want to. If you see men who've never left their mothers and as they grow up, they're really pathetic. <laughs> They just never, emotionally never mature. They're always babies, uh, kept on, them, on an emotional babyhood, even when they're 80. You know, babies, emotional babies. You know that this is, and yet at one, at, when you are a baby, that's a normal, healthy way to feel. <laughs> And healthy emotional relation and dependency in relationship. <laughs> like with say with the romance, I mean, that's normal the attraction and the dependent emotional dependencies that form through the male and female attracting each other. But then if it's just based on that, then it goes, then it, it, uh, romance is an is a ephemeral experience. There's no, no way you can maintain it for very long. And, and if that's all, if that, that's where you're, that's all you want, then of course you have to, you know, you have to go find other people to have romantic relationships with because they, you can't maintain them if you're the same person. <coughs> for very long. Because that romantic thing depends very much on, on illusions and newness and, and uh, expectation and mystery and, and, and all that. It's not, you know, when you, when you live with somebody, they're kind of the mystery of and the, and the kind of fantasy world and the, and the expectation. What you expected and wanted and, and thought more. Once you, once you live with them for a while, those, those things fall away. And if there's no willing, willingness to mature and, 
to ballet, and people do get stuck. I mean, you can be 40, 50 years old and still be uh, emotionally very, like a, a child, like a baby. You work too, don't you? In the in the sangha, you get you find through the years you have your emotions are definitely being affected by, it, and you find all these kind of things coming up. And uh, and people, I mean, people kind of build emotional dependencies on each other. Secret infatuations and and uh, all kinds of fantasies and so forth that <laughs> but in the holy life you're we're we're not trying to encourage this in each other but to to encourage not encourage that kind of personal relationship but encourage a reflection on it. <coughs> So that we, we see what's happening when I mean, we binding people to us or or just rejecting them and saying, Don't don't touch me, don't hang on to me. And kind of just a brutal rejection of others, but uh, it's a encouraging reflection on that need or that desire, that that, that emotional spot that one is in. <coughs> that's that's a that's a dependency, isn't it? Where we we uh, we help we try to help each other to look at these things.
Oh, <laughs> 
Dear Mansard, Chiu Buddha. Anyway, they, Dear Mansard decided he was, he, he decided to have this, to allow only the mentally disturbed people to come and live there. It was a Vipassana center. So, so uh, the place just got completely out of hand because uh, he, they were doing all this screaming and, and, uh, and, you know, the idea was to just follow the kind of cathartic meditation practice where if you feel like screaming, you scream. So people that, that weren't particularly disturbed but who were interested in Buddhist meditation would go there thinking that they would have a silent retreat, they end up with all these people screaming in the shrine room. And, <laughs> and then they'd even get intimidated because the idea was, because all these people that were screaming were saying that if you weren't screaming, you were holding something down. So then people started thinking, well maybe I am, I should be screaming. So they'd start <laughs> screaming too. <laughs> and, and pretty soon the people that didn't, you know, saw what was going on wouldn't go there, and the place just filled up with uh, these emotionally disturbed beings. And, uh, and it was very kind, admittedly, of Chu, but he, he had nearly ruined his family and everything. He was just caught in a, in a, in a kind of madhouse, bedlam. The house burnt down. <laughs> They burnt down, burnt to the ground. Really? Because do you remember when you were after the centre, when you was looking round for a place, it wasn't cheap. Oh, I think it's for here. And I went there with Carol and she was there. And then it was sort of out the way and everything like that. And then shortly after it burnt down, it burnt down. It was a really old property, historical property. How did it burn? It doesn't exist yet. Yeah. I think they think perhaps some old tramp got in there and they slept and left it down. But I know somebody went there on a retreat and was sitting there meditating, so someone sort of came rolling next. That with mindfulness, you see, then you you can uh, those are just like like feeling hunger or or just a, like mother loving her child. And there's a scene if you know if the if the mother is interested in dhamma, then she she sees the dhamma <coughs> situation and the feeling there, but it's not it's not the papancha sanya sankara. Uh, it's not coming from ignorance, from avicca. So that, that then, then there's a real. I should think then that kind of, because you know, it's, it's fine as you as you're mindful and non-attached. You, it doesn't make you cold and unfeeling, but it, you feel much more loving and uh, accepting of other beings. It's just uh, more. A, a kind of natural uh, beauty of life is 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 working through you rather than this distorted uh, sense of self, that, like that where mother love can just be a neurotic distortion, you know, holding, and clutching, and demanding. So then, then that is that is 
that is really, that, you know, uh, they destroy the, they destroy the, the thing they're trying to, to love and hold on to. When you say that the, uh, the Brahma Vihara is a really big kind of purified emotion, and the emotions are done emotional, they're relating the love is emotional, you know, dharma, on the level of dharma. That's the reason why the Brahma Vihara, Brahma Vihara is not The pure, pure bodies. <coughs> So like metta or a mother that has metta rather than in, than uh, what when the sense of self goes not being a mother I'm just speculating yeah. but uh, when the sense of self would go then there'd still be the the love there and the, but it would be with wisdom so it wouldn't be a demanding neurotic need. And then wouldn't you say that instinct <coughs> also <coughs> come out of ignorance originally? It's the like, basic instincts, one of which would be, say, the mother's this natural urge to protect and care for the child. I think that's just Dhamma. I see mm-hmm. that as Dhamma because, because that is, uh, that's not self. That's just uh, the way things are. And then, then because of our ability to identify, to attach, when we attach to that, like in the animal kingdom, they say the, a mother dog has that, you know, has that love and nurturing quality. It's an instinctual thing. Would there be a similar sort of, without any attachment at all, would there be considerably different sort of feelings? Because when we say instinct, it kind of uh, seems to be always with attachment, coming from a very strong sense of self. Even with dust and the history of tips on this. Just talking back to women who are about to have a baby, it's very interesting and want to meditate because they can really see it. Because like, we have a friend down at Chitta, she's a psychiatrist, and she's very responsible job in hospital and for years she's been doing this and, um, and she became pregnant. It was very interesting so in the months before the baby was due to arrive her interest in the job just kind of, it was very difficult for her to focus on that mm-hmm. but and more and more just the sort of feeling of just going to, to what was, was nurturing and, uh, but because and she suddenly meditated she could see that so that like, it's an instinct, but it was there was Weecher as well. I, I would right. say. Explained in a series of imagination. Uh, instinct is something neutral. Something which is just there. And the love has it feels just happening. And the instinct energy becomes holy. It becomes clarity. It's transformed. But if you're not suffering, you become a small significance. You don't put down that Because I had that in the Boom Wai uh, a few years back, the experience with the cobra in the, in the, in the toilet. And they, you know, they, uh, I went in, in you know, that coochie. But it was really noisy. Yeah, quite good. Right. Well, one one day I went down, you know, to the to the bathroom underneath, and it had, you know, it, it had um, a little wooden latch which you. So then I I flicked that open, opened the door, closed it, bolted the door, and I looked, and there was this uh, cobra in there. <laughs> You didn't cough before going in. (laughs) (laughs) And what came over me was pure instinctual self-preservation. And and I would, you know, I'm just uh, amazed at the alacrity of (laughs) movement, of movement in that. 
And the way I got out of there without harming the slave or myself was, was uh, you know, when you thought about, you know, thinking about it now, but it, if I ask you, what would you do if this happened to you, you think, oh, you know, because, but when you're actually in that situation, something, something else happens. It's not, definitely not felt. <laughs> definitely not felt. And so, and that impressed me because I, I, I really, I've heard about, you know, like when your life is in danger and, and your, this, this, this self-preservation is a very powerful instinct in which people can do the most amazing feats that you would never think possible from a, from a personal position or a personal mm-hmm. estimation. I'm just wondering where that comes from. Would that, you say that's neutral, but would that come from a self-preservation? preservation of life, would, would that come necessarily if there was not a wind tower at all, in the sense of, uh, that must involve some sort of, some sense of self, to have that very, everybody's got the same, very powerful instinct, you know, everybody will respond in the same way. But that's not the self. The self is the attachment to that instinct. And like self, like a beacher is always the, what you, like animals don't have cells, but they have instinct. We have self because we create it onto, oh, we, we can, we can uh, create things in our mind, we can, we have views, we have perceptions of ourselves. So then, you know, like I am a, a man is a perception, I mean a, a male dog, I'm sure never thinks I am a male dog. They don't have perceptions for that, but and yet instinctually they will act, they will do the, the instinctual uh, actions of male dogs. But the but as a human being, you have you can identify. You have I am a male. I'm a man. I am an American. I am I've done tomato. And then these are the the self that we impose onto the way it is. That's why we with uh, reflection, then you, there is, you can be a Buddhist monk without being self. There is this, this, this monastic, this mixture, then this like this, and then I can, I can attach to it, I can say, I am a bhikkhu, and I am a good bhikkhu, or I'm the best bhikkhu, or I'm not a very good bhikkhu, or I'm a terrible bhikkhu, and that is, if that's coming from a vicha, then, then it always is, uh, you know, it leads to um, despair or depression. But but if it's just seen as is, you know, then then it, then there's that one can still be, you know, there's still being a bhikkhu or whatever. But it, it's because of the mindless, there's not an, there's not attachment to it. This is why we can. Uh, you know, we can be mindful, doesn't keep us from performing our duties in the society or, or you know, living uh, uh, in the conventional world, but allows us to not be deluded by the conventional world. It does feel something just that the sense of self seems to be even more refined and deeper than, than the actual perception of it in terms of a conscious formulation of thoughts or concepts. This seems to be really kind of deep, deeper because even that sense of self seems to be deeper than the, the conscious thought of I am this, I am that. But that's the expression, you see, and that you can, you can really see then the feeling is also is also to be let go to to not because then one can have a feeling of being something somebody. But then in the in the then in the through mindful state there's just the knowing that their attention, the knowing where the where the fee, even the feeling of being somebody or something is seen as an object in the Ramana. 
is impure sati and wisdom, then there's intelligence and knowing, but there's no there's no attachment, no no uh, aramana that is that one is attached to. So that uh, sometimes like that kind of latent sense of self is very strong. Maybe it, it, it might be it's even uh, an instinctual nature of of, uh, of just self-preservation or, or uh, spiritual longing or whatever. But then, as you, but that you can also recognize. Would that be the unseen And probably, even though a dog would have no sense of "I am a dog." <laughs> But the anusika would be there in the sense of that self, self-preservation, self-gratification. They would have the conceptional uh, sanya and papancha with regard to all of the instincts. It's still that anusika of self coming from that. Right, but it's, it, that's just nature. That's the, that's the that, that whole realm is a realm like that, the realm of fear and, uh, and um, survival, the animal kingdom. And then the human realm is, is, uh, is transcending that, even though we share that experience with the animals. We, we can transcend it through our reflectiveness. Because we can develop the sati. Yeah. So without the sati, it would, it would be. We would be just animals. No, and a lot, and a lot are. This is why I was just wondering whether these instincts, like that, are, you know, they come from this anusya or based on self, even though not consciously worked out or thought out or um, with ideas, but just that basic ignorance leads to these anusya functioning and controlling and motivating without sati to recognize and to adapt. Right, what is it? But then that's just the process of, you know, the conditioning process. There's no, there's no like kind of essential dog or, or cat or person. There's no effort to it. It's just a, it's just a karmic process that goes on and on and on. And it, right. And but this, but this, uh, this, this form here, you see, this is why the Buddha was, was stressing the non-soul because. The tendency is to is to perceive some a kind of continuity of self, even from previous life to this one, or from the memories you have from this life, to hold on to as if you were the same person that you were yesterday, or the same person that you were ten years ago. That 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 that's the ability to perceive and grasp of. Uh, 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 an assumption and a perception, uh, and that gives us a sense of continuity as a person. You know, the fact that I was—I mean, you—you you get very upset if you lose your memory, don't you? If you can't remember where you were born or who your your mother and father are, people do that. That's very, very frightening because uh, the, your whole sense of of being a continuous a, a person is is under threat. Uh, and if that's all you've, all you've, uh, and that's what your attachment is, that was your experience of life, then it's a very frightening experience to lose that sense of being somebody with a, with a, as a family. People will, you know, like Americans, they need to trace their ancestors in Europe. Just to have some kind of continuity, even in ancestry. And, uh, and all that is a sense of self, of, of reinforcing that. And when we when we talk about our past, or 
that is a reinforcement of me and having been somebody in the past and, and the assumption that I'm really the same person uh, that I was then. But when you penetrate it with mindfulness, you see it's a process uh, rather than a, than a soul or a, a constant or an essence. So that then you, but so what? What is your? What is the? The refuge then is in mindfulness rather than in the soul or perception of itself. Because then you know when you when when you carry even the logic of that out to when when you realize that then then that. Uh, it doesn't mean that you feel confused or empty or blank, but it, it's, a, it's, it's a relief of not having, having ever been anything, not having to become anything, but just the experience of being with the way things are and, and, and being able to respond to life as it, as it is. It's its own reward. It's perfect perfection in itself. But when the self view comes in, then it, then it will always lead to the Sokka Paritewa, Sukkatomana, Sukhayasa. Every time. And yet people are very frightened that they, they don't have a soul, or that there's nothing, or something like that, because their, their, their hope and expectation of life is always through attachment or to something or other, like a, like a a view of God, or a, or an idea of a soul, or or an ancestral uh, line, or a tradition, or or uh, whatever. There's a very strong attachment, and very difficult to break too, because they're so they're, one is so in, has so much investment say, in, in being maybe in an ancestral line. Well, being born Prince Charles would, would, you know, you've got pretty powerful perceptions that we don't have, not being a prince. <coughs> I don't have, uh, you know, I don't, I've not been, been born into in, in, and have a whole kind of perceptual world built around being somebody important. But if you so that kind of karma can be quite, you know, it, it would be very difficult to to let go of, to see if you're for what it is. I mean, fortunately, like, like I, I think my kind of <coughs> background, which is, which is because it's incredibly mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> Mediocrity can be incredible. A lot of people could have envious about your pioneering message. I have to have a few little dramatic perceptions. But there's not, you know, there's not a lot to, that one can attach to. One finds that important <coughs> or interesting that you, you really want to hang on to anything. But if you've invested your, in yourself as being like a, somebody important or having a mission in life or being a special being, being an avatar, being a, uh, a genius, <coughs> being, uh, all these things are, are really... <coughs> insidious uh, perceptions that uh, would be very difficult to perceive, to, to be able to see as, as an ancient Dukkanata. <coughs> <coughs> Dukkanata.